I love it once the story takes hold of me, then that's what I'm always looking for, that pleasure of losing your sense of, of self. You're listening to the Wheeler Centre Podcast. Hello and welcome. Welcome to a, a special Dialogues event for the Castlemaine State Festival, brought to you in partnership with the Wheeler Centre. Uh, this is the first special event that we've done as part of the Dialogues on, in an ongoing way and we're thrilled to be bringing it to you this evening and thrilled to be partnering with the Wheeler Centre to make that happen. My name's Kristen Gill, I'm the curator of the Dialogues program for the festival and I'm also one half of Northern Books and the other half is down there ready to sell you a book after, after the session has, has finished. Before we go any further, I'd like to acknowledge that tonight we are gathered on Jarjarung country. I pay my respects to the land and to the traditional owners of the land, the Jarajara people, and to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I also extend a very warm welcome to any First Nations people who are here with us this evening. Our conversationalist this evening is Sarah Lestrange. Sarah is perfectly positioned to host our chat this evening as she's the producer of the Radio National Book Show, The Perfect Job. Um, she's an avid reader, of course, and no stranger to having a chat with a guest author or two. And perhaps our guest author needs little introduction, but just in case you've been under a rock or living somewhere else and don't know who Leanne Moriarty is, she's the New York Times best-selling author of many books, including Nine Perfect Lives, uh, Nine Perfect Strangers, Truly Madly Guilty, Big Little Lies, and of course her most recent book and the topic of tonight's conversation, Apples Never Fall. She's won multiple awards, had her stories adapted for award-winning television, and I think when you sell more than 20 million books around the globe, 5 million here in Australia, you also get to be known as a much-loved author. Would you please welcome Leanne Moriarty and Sarah Lestrange. Thanks so much, Kristen, for that lovely welcome. And it's so good to see you all here. Um, the last two years have been hard and it's so wonderful to be able to come out and meet readers and people who are passionate about reading and who are passionate about the books of Leanne Moriarty. What a superstar. Um, Australia's very own, our top-selling uh, Australian author. So. You heard from Kristen some of Leanne's background, um, so I just want to fill you in a bit about her latest book, uh, Apples Never Fall, because this one really, it's, it doesn't disappoint. It's got everything. It's got sibling rivalry. It's got tennis. <laughs> and it's got unfulfilled promise and maybe a murder. <laughs> it's about Joy. So Joy's nudging 70 and she's oh, at a bit of a loss at the moment because she and her husband have just retired from their very successful tennis academy. Um, she's taken up listening to podcasts and she's doing a memoir writing course. But then she goes missing and the police get involved, and um, then the family secrets all start to come out. Please welcome again, Leanne Moriarty. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Leanne, what is it like to be in front of your readers again? It's really special to be in front of um, real people. When the book came out, Sydney was in lockdown, so we did have a book tour originally planned. 
Uh, so I had to sit at my desk and just do all my events by Zoom. Uh, so Not I loved quite the same. <laughs> I loved the fact that I didn't have to wear shoes, um, but I, I really missed um, meeting people and really clarified for me, actually, that that's really... I actually need, I need that um, to, to see people. So it took a pandemic for you to, um, <laughs> to feel like you needed that connection? I, th- well, I think, well, it's like everything, that it, you mm. take things for granted. Um, and I, because I'm not an extroverted person, I think I thought, oh, well, I could do... And, and I, find, um, I find book tours, I get all quite anxious and worked up about it. Um, and I normally go through a process. At the beginning of a book tour, I'm very worked up about it. And all the um, initial events, I'm very nervy. And then I get to a stage where actually I do start to quite enjoy it. Um, and I'm on a roll. But then, just towards the end, so normally a tour's two weeks, then I start to hate the sound of my own voice. And then I go through this self-loathing. Um, <laughs> and I think I, you cannot tell that story again. And I feel like I got um, drunk at a dinner party and talked about myself too much. So, <laughs> so, so where are you now in that phase? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess. Well, no, so th- this is what's made it different because of the pandemic. Now I'm just at the, and maybe it's also my age, now I'm just at the emotional, grateful, isn't it lovely that we're here on <laughs> <at> stage? <laughs> and it is lovely indeed. Um, now, I want to start at the end of your book, actually, Leanne. I want to start at the acknowledgements. I always love reading acknowledgements. And, um, oh, yeah, other people do too. Uh, and um, because you say this one's for you, Mum. <laughs> so I just wondered if you could just introduce us to your mum, because there is a matriarch in this book. I'm not saying it's the same person. But I just wondered if you could share something about your mum. Oh, oh gosh, it's hard hard to put my my mum into words. She is a little bit like Joy. Um, so many parts of many parts of her probably found their way, especially her way of telling a story. There are many tangents, which I know I've started to to do myself. Um, my mother knows Every single one of my... So she's the... um, I'm the eldest of six children. Uh, She knows all of our friends and all of their... um, And all all of their children's names. So she's quite amazing with names. Um, Although having said that, I will tell you, uh, she's recently... So I lost my dad just at the start of the pandemic. Oh, I'm sorry. So she's just um, moved into a retirement village uh, and she is very social, which is lovely. And, and, she's, and because she is so good with names, this was an interesting mistake um, because she said to me, well, there's a lady here who says she loves your books and her name's Barb. Uh, and so well, I signed a book for her and mum went up to her villa knocked on the door and said Barb here's a here's a book for you and she did say that Barb looked a little bit bemused um, <laughs> but she took the book and I gave her a big uh, hardcover book uh, and then a couple of weeks later a lovely thank you card came saying dear Diane and Leanne thank you so much for the book I'm not sure why you gave it to me I did find it a little bit 
difficult, the going back and forth. So clearly she, <laughs> she was not a reader of um, one of my, of my books, but she felt compelled to read the whole thing. So my mum then felt so terrible, we had to give Barb chocolates um, <laughs> as an apology for... For Apology having for to, having to read to your read book. My I'm not books. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it would have been a pretty busy household with six kids. Very busy, yes. And then when my youngest sister, who is the author, uh, so three of us, three of the six uh, authors, and when my youngest sister, Nicola, was two, mum started fostering babies because um, she just always had to have a baby in the house. So we're, we're um, for mostly short-term fostering so the longest we had was a year um, so often it was children in need but also a lot of um, pre-adoption babies so in those days uh, I don't know how it works now but you'd have uh, if you were putting your baby up for adoption you had six weeks before it would go to the new mm. parents so we'd look after not we, um, my mother, my mother would, because I can tell you when I had my first baby and the very first night waking up through the night, I thought, oh, mum, how did you do it for yeah. all those years? And yeah. how, what do you understand as her motivation for doing that? I mean, it's a beautiful thing to have done, but um, it's, that's hard work. Yeah, I think um, I, she, she's always, she wants to be of, of service mm. And um, and she just adores babies. <laughs> she was the only child in her um, in the kindergarten. Her photo um, it was just so funny looking at it because there's all the children and there's mum holding a doll. So she's tiny, but she's she's always has to have a baby. <laughs> um, well, it's so lovely to sort of hear about your background and imagine you in that world of babies and maybe wondering what those babies grew up who those babies grew up to be, uh, planting seeds for your writerly mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. <laughs> uh, so thinking about this book, um, Apples Never Fall, what were the origins of it? Because you were meant to be having like a, a rest year from writing your next book, weren't you? I was. So after uh, Nine Perfect Strangers came out, I'd um, been working quite hard for a few years and I had, my, uh, had two children. And so I decided after Nine Perfect Strangers that I would take a year off. And I was calling it my year of joy. Uh, and that happened to be, fortunately, it was not 2020. Uh, it was 2019. And the idea was that I would... Um, I mean, it sounds so self-indulgent now, but the idea was that I would only do things that brought me joy. Um, obviously, there's a lot in life you still have to do, like laundry. Cooking. And, um, <laughs> cooking, which does not bring me joy. Um, uh, but that I, And I also thought I would take a while before I wrote anything new. But I didn't want to uh, stop writing completely. I thought I'd write some short stories. And so I asked my sister, um, the next sister down, who is the author, Jacqueline Moriarty, uh, to send me some writing prompts. And she texted me just a few lines describing a bike lying on the grass with a few apples lying next to it. Uh, and instead of writing a short story, that became the opening chapter of uh, Apples Never Fall. And so it turned out that you know, I've actually... I'd, 
writing does bring me joy. Um, but it was lovely to, to have that. I, I, I took longer with this book. Did that also take the pressure off because you had had those very intense years with Big Little Lies, going to Emmy Award winning, you know, Emmy Awards. Um, did that take the pressure off thinking that it was just your year of joy and you just it, it, jot some yes, things down? It really did. Um, and so I, I just absolutely loved writing this book. Um, and so maybe it does... Um, it, I, maybe the... the Pace is perhaps at times more leisurely um, <laughs> uh, um, than than Big Little Lies, but you know, be patient. I, mean, <laughs> I do. I do some. I think some because of Big Little Lies. I think sometimes I, um, some readers think I'm a writer of thrillers, and so then they come. They're not so interested in learning about all the characters in the family. They want to, they want the page turner with just who who did it. Um. Well, I mean, it's interesting because after, you know, nine books, and I haven't read all of them, but I've um, read a few of them now, uh, they're remarkably consistent, Leanne. I mean, you, you've managed to keep your, your um, voice quite strong and um, you, you really seem to have a, a strong sense of purpose in why you're writing what you're writing. Well, that's interesting that you say that. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel that myself because every time I sit down to write a new book I'm flailing about I, I'm thinking I can't do it so no I don't feel that I don't feel that sense of purpose uh, I, I love it once I get so I just want the story once the story takes hold of me then that's the what, what, what I'm always looking for that pleasure mm -hmm. of losing your sense of, of self and so what about that sense of consistency in that time you know um, since that first book was published in 2004. Mm. Do you feel like you've, you've changed as a Probably. writer? Probably. Um, yeah, that's why I was saying um, perhaps this book, as I've got older and slower, <laughs> has it, has, is, it more, does, is it taking more time? Uh, was, was some of the maybe Big Little Lies was a faster-paced book? But maybe my next book I'll, I'll do a really fast-paced book. So there, yeah, there's lots of similarities between um, my books. I know when people point them out, things that I come back to. Apparently there's an American reader who um, wrote to me and said, you always mention a sultana in your books. Uh, <laughs> and is there a special message in that? <laughs> Sultana is speaking to you. Yes. And there was one really embarrassing thing where twice I've had a character with a, a barcode tattooed on the, the back of his neck. Uh, and that's just because I used to do a body combat class and there was a man in front of me and I'd be looking at that tattoo <laughs> on the back of his neck and so... And, Obviously, I'd, it came back into my mind. And, and again, they thought there was some special message that the man with the tattoo would come out and, and something would happen. Maybe there is subliminal. <laughs> yes, maybe. So, so you have this prompt um, from your sister, and we have that image at the beginning, as you say, of an abandoned bike and apples um, spilling out. Um, when did this evolve into a story about a woman who goes missing with her husband as the central suspect and the four ch adult children working out whose side they're on? Uh, so, like Joy in the book, it's, so the book starts and Joy's listening to podcasts um, because she has this fancy new 
headphones that her son Troy gave her. Uh, and so my husband also gave me some fancy headphones. Uh, and I got into podcasts. And there was, um, I started like a lot of people with true crime podcasts. Um, and sadly, there are a lot of cases where a woman goes missing. And the main person of interest is um, is her husband, and invariably he's described as a loving father. And each time I would listen to that, and and of course he's not always um, he's not always guilty or or innocent. And but each time I think of the children, and that got me thinking about what if you were, and the adult children, what if you as an adult. Um, if that happened to you, because then I thought it would be so interesting then, because it's hard enough to think of your parents as just ordinary people, let alone to consider the possibility that one of them might be a murderer, and how you could then look at their, their marriage um, through, through grown-up eyes. And did you know where the book would go once you started with this premise? Like, did you know what happened to Joy? No, so I, I did not know uh, where Joy was and I did not know if uh, Stan was innocent or guilty. Huh. Mm. <laughs> so you're discovering sort of as the reader is discovering. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. It's, um, it's an enjoyable way to write because I don't know. I sit at my desk each day and I think I wonder what's going to happen today. Oh. Um, but it's also a it's scary not way. Too, yeah, nerve-wracking. No, <laughs> it is because then I think I hope something's going to happen today. <laughs> mm. um, and was this a sort of conscious return to... Um, this similar terrain, I guess, of Big Little Lies in that Big Little Lies deals with um, domestic violence as well. No, it really wasn't because um, it was just that premise and what I was actually really more interested in was um, you looking at your... It was a long marriage and how you as a grown-up look back at your childhood and things you took for granted. Um, that's what I was interested in in examining, um, but then, of course, because it's a potential murder, then domestic violence has found its way back in. But I think it's an, for me, um, it feels entirely different, an entirely different approach. And mm. um, so, Joy and her husband Stan, they're they're retired, um, and so and so you understand that she's not missing and having a life at the same time that the. Um, story flicks um, between the past and the present. So the past being, um, you know, the past September, October, and then flicks to the present where um, Joy is missing. Um, but in the past, we're sort of with her, and Joy and um, her husband Stan, their, their retirement is sort of given a shake-up. They're not really very comfortable in retirement because they used to be so active with their academy. And... Um, a stranger comes to the door, literally, this fantastic literally, ri literary device. Who's Savannah? Um, so I say Savannah. Savannah? Because, I'll um, say Savannah too then. Say Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, um, it's interesting when people read books and they say things, in, but I could, have, I could be. Is it my daughter's always correcting my pronunciation she, of her friends' names too. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I don't know. In my mind, she's Savannah. Um, and that was inspired by an article that I read about an elderly couple who um, let a young woman turned up at their house late at night, um, one night, 
asking for help and they let her in and she stayed the night. Um, and I think there was a subsequent criminal case as a, as a result, which has nothing to do with my story. But I just thought that's uh, yep, an interesting device to have somebody who turns up, knocks on the door. Um, and I had no idea who she was or how she would be involved with uh, Joy's disappearance. But I think because, <coughs> excuse me, I was writing it during lockdown when I was so sick of cooking, I did make Savannah um, a wonderful cook um, <laughs> because I think that was perhaps my fantasy that somebody would knock on the door <laughs> and say, I'll cook, cook dinner for you. <laughs> All of our fantasies. <laughs> <Yes>. <coughs> And Savannah says when she comes to the door, as soon as I saw your house, it just felt so warm and safe, which we know when we read one of your books um, that something is afoot. <laughs> All is not as it seems. <laughs> Do you enjoy planting these sort of signposts and red herrings for your readers? Um, yes, I do. I I love it, though, especially when they um, come into the book accidentally. Um, so, for example, in this one, there's a scene where uh, the character of Brooke... Um, so the youngest daughter. The youngest daughter remembers, um, because they ran the tennis school from home, and she remembers one of the tennis students coming uh, and taking a banana that she'd been saving from school, um, just helping herself to it from her school bag. And that was really just, in the beginning, adding sort of detail to the memories of her life and also how, how at times it was very frustrating for these four children to feel like their home was um, also uh, belonged to all these tennis students. But then later on, that then became quite relevant. Mm. So I love it when that happens because then you don't have to sort of shoehorn in these little... Um, Clues, um, and so do you sort of discover that clue when you go back? Is that or how that as works? A, more, no, not so much when I go back, but as I'm writing, I suddenly thought, you oh, well, actually, you that, that could be. Mm-hmm. I won't say, but that could um, be no, don't relevant. Say that. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then other things. Then once I, because I'm working it out as I go, I never want to give the impression that it just all falls into place perfectly. Uh, so I always have a separate document called Things I Need to Fix. <laughs> um, so, for example, with, in this book, it became important that Stan didn't own a mobile phone. Uh, but then I rem- remembered that in the very first chapter, I've got Stan lying in bed um, scrolling through his mobile phone. So the very first thing on the list was take Stan's phone off him. Uh, <laughs> Did he grumble? <laughs> well, I gave it. I just gave He's him a an iPad. Sort of fellow. <laughs> yes, it was fine. Uh, and, so, and then, of course, I, once I know what's happened, then I can go back and put in yep, some red herrings and slightly um, take the reader down, down a different path. And, and so this family is a, is a tennis family. Um, all the kids played tennis when they were young. Uh, Stan and Joy. Um, Stan did the coaching. Joy ran the business. Tennis is their world. And I, I loved how you um, incorporated, I guess, the language of tennis in this book. Was that a sort of unexpected delight for you? It was just fun that um, tennis lends itself. There are a lot of, a lot of wonderful 
metaphors, um, uh, as did apple. I kept bringing apples. When my, one of my editors did say, you could, enough with the apple imagery, <laughs> you're getting a bit too excited there. Um, you know, because um, all these people are sort of trying to win the game of, of their life, really. Mm. That's the, the ultimate yeah. metaphor, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And do you play? Uh, I play, so tennis was part of our lives uh, growing up, but not in a competitive sense. My grandmother always had her tennis ladies, and then my mum had um, played with her tennis friends. My and my grandma then joined her tennis club. But she was very she was very good, um, and even when she was quite. Uh, elderly and couldn't run that far, she could still just stand in one spot and have all of her grandchildren <laughs> running back and forth trying to, trying to beat her. Uh, so yeah, I have lots of lovely memories of uh, the tennis ladies always had this thing, um, they'd say, add all instead of add all, add all Diana, <laughs> uh, instead of playing the advantage. Um, and always lovely snacks too. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And if we had um, if we had a picnic somewhere, we'd often go and um, find somewhere with a, a tennis court. So it was just, uh, yeah, just a fun part of our lives. So, but I never set out to write a book about tennis. Um, it just happened accidentally. So I had my bike lying on the grass. I had my missing mother. Uh, and then one day I was actually having a tennis lesson because I was trying to keep up with my son, who's getting too good. I wish he could have played against Grandma. Um, so I was trying to keep up with him. And while I was having the lesson, I was thinking about my family and I was thinking it would be quite good if I had a family business for them, really because it just allows you to keep your characters in one spot. Uh, so that's, you know, with Nine Perfect Strangers, I sent them all off to a health resort. So then, like Agatha Christie does so perfectly, you have them all contained. So like a I, locked room. <laughs> yes, exactly. <clears throat> so then I thought, OK, I'll, I'll have them run a tennis school. And then that was decided, but then it was interesting because then as the, the days went by, I thought, well, I guess if they run a tennis school, they're really into tennis. <laughs> um, so maybe they used to love playing tennis themselves. And now I'm going to have to learn about tennis. Uh, and I can always remember I spoke um, to a young man who, just, who was in his 20s, who'd just given up playing uh, competitive tennis. And just when he was talking about it, I, I realised what an emotional decision it was for him to have given up because his mother still had um, all the trophies, a shrine of the trophies. He said he um, found it so hard to watch tennis on the television because he um, could see some of his friends and wondering, did I make the right decision? So that just got me thinking about what happens when you are, you have the talent and you have the drive, but you don't make it because mm. that's 99% of all players so mm. then that really tennis then started to drive the story. Yes and there's a lot in here about unfulfilled promise mm. and the impact that that has on all of those children. Yes yes exactly. Um, and so let's talk again about Joy. Is she happy with her life with her lot? Well, I think she's just at a she's at a difficult stage in her life because um, her 
the business, the Delaney's um, tennis, was everything to her and she's been so busy all her life and now she has the four adult children, they've all moved out of home and everything's suddenly come to a stop and she and Stan are just not the sort of people um, who um, had plans for retirement. It's Mm -hmm. not something that they were looking for, they just love the tennis and then so she is also now thinking... She's obsessed with having grandchildren uh, and thinking that if, we, if I could have grandchildren, then I, I could focus on those babies in the, in the way that um, I didn't get to do with my own children because life suddenly has gone so fast and here I am. Um, and now I'm going to do... <clears throat> excuse me, I said beforehand that I wouldn't need a glass of water during this whole conversation, <laughs> that I would be perfectly fine. No, you need <laughs> But <one>. my <laughs> voice keeps breaking, so apologies. Um, so uh, I'm going to do that thing that readers do where they, they find connections <laughs> in your books because I did I have noticed that there is this sort of obsession with um, having children. So for Joy, uh, she really wants grandchildren, but in your other books um, there are these characters who desperately want children and even in this book there's another thread about a character who wants children. Uh, is, is this a coincidence? Or is it something to do with all those foster babies in your home? It might be something to do with the foster babies. Um, I had my children very late, so I was desperate to um, have children myself and I had a difficult time having them, so I was so grateful uh, to get them. So I do uh, think I keep coming back to uh, characters who um, are childless and desperate. To have um, to have babies, and I do tend to keep um, giving them those babies, <laughs> um, not necessarily by getting pregnant, but all. Uh, uh, and I know sometimes, sometimes people think maybe you should make them um, be happy in some other way. But I always think, um, which of course, um, the decision to be childless is a complete. And I did, in fact, with. Um, uh, nine perfect strangers. Yeah. I had Francis, Francis who never Welty. wanted children. Yeah. That was a deliberate decision um, to have somebody. It's a completely valid choice. A writer who didn't want children. Yes, a writer <laughs> who didn't want children. Um, but I always think if I'm in charge of the world, in, in charge of this world and um, this woman's desperate for a baby, I'm going to give her a baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to do that. Your prerogative. <laughs> um, so... I'm interested in the uh, relationships between the brothers and sisters. So there's four of the adult children. They're all vying for their um, parents' attention, even if they don't realise it anymore now that they're grown up. And, you know, in the police investigation of Joy's disappearance, the um, police officers sort of classify the children. You know, Amy, Amy is the elder. She's the skittish one. Logan is calm. Troy is the smooth one and Brooke is the circumspect one. Do you en- enjoy writing about the roles siblings play in families, given, you know, you're one of six, <laughs> the eldest of six? <laughs> yeah, I do think um, just growing up in a big family, uh, from a very early age, I was always interested in the fact that we're related and we're having the same childhood but all of us are so different Uh, and I think I've always enjoyed our differences just enjoyed little things about how um so Katie was the 
the practical one. Uh, I can always remember my dad uh, had a particular lawnmower and for some reason he said to myself and the next sister down, Jackie, he said, um, I'll give you $100 if you can work out how to start this thing. Uh, and then Katie, the next sister down, walked by and he said, not you, um, <laughs> because he realised she was the one who'd be he, able to do it. He was it. about to lose $100. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I just love um, right, the, having the different personalities. And, of course, as, an, as a writer, there's so much uh, potential for conflict. Mm. And did you enjoy being the eldest? I did enjoy being the eldest and I still enjoy being the eldest. <laughs> that role never leaves you. It does not. <laughs> um, and I'm just imagining you with your uh, writerly family. You know, you've got your two other sisters, um, Jackie and Nicola, who are writers. And I'm imagining this Bronte-esque childhood <laughs> where you're coming up with your own imaginary worlds. Uh, was it like that? Well, Nicola was 15 years younger than me. So I actually, I did, uh, when she was 10, I wrote a story for her. So I must have been 25, obviously, featuring her, which uh, eventually, many years later, um, became published as, um, as a series of children's books. Uh, so it wasn't so much... Um, that, yeah, we made up, we did, but I think all children mm. back then had those... Um, adventurous game so we had a very 70s childhood where we'd just make up um, games and go out and and play I did, we did used to put on school uh, plays uh, and I can remember getting the neighborhood children together and um, putting on a play for for everybody so there was a little bit of that so mm. that was your job as the mm. eldest that's to, right to round to, up the neighborhood exactly kids. and to pick the best roles for me um, but uh, Jacqueline was published before you. She was. So, uh, so did this smart, <laughs> speaking of sibling rivalry? It sure did smart. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so both of us wanted to be uh, writers when we were little and Dad used to actually commission us to write stories for him. Um, so he gave us our first publishing deals. He paid a dollar for an exercise book filled with words. Mm -hmm. Was that um, enough? Uh, well, I thought it was enough okay. then. It certainly, um, my children wouldn't get out of bed. For <laughs> um, but then as I um, grew up, I wrote less and less. So that story that I mentioned that I wrote for Nicola was probably one of the few things that I completed in all those years um, because I lost that crazy self-confidence mm. that I had as a child. So it really wasn't until Jackie got published first uh, and I was very happy for her um, because I love her dearly but I was also so, so filled with uh, envy uh, and also a kind of rage really um, and the, the rage was really directed at myself because I couldn't say, uh, I hadn't even given it a shot. Uh, so it was thanks to her. She's very kind and she says uh, if it wasn't... She says I would have done it eventually, but I don't think I would have. I think I needed to see her do it first. So I'm eternally grateful. Uh, and is that when you started the creative writing course? Well, first of all, it was around the year 2000. So I remember I wrote a children's book, first of all, because it was called The Animal Olympics. So it was about all the different animals that would win 
you so know, the to ant, tie with yes, Sydney Olympics. Sydney yeah. Olympics. And that book was enthusiastically rejected by every publisher in Australia. Uh, and then I calmed down a bit because I think I was just really in a desperate rush. Uh, and then, yeah, I did enrol in a master's degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, then 2004? Was it or 2003? I, I don't know the years. I'm terrible with years. It's yes. around that time yeah. um, from my notes. <laughs> um, and Three Wishes was born. That's Yes, yeah, so I wrote Three Wishes. You had to write, um, I think you had to write 30,000 words to um, complete the degree and I wrote 100,000 words. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was you, good you to be back at it. school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I needed that because I just wanted to impress the teacher. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Your sisters, I believe, read your drafts, is that right? Uh, we do, we don't, we're not so much reading the drafts to give feedback. We tend to send our books to each other at the same time as we submit them to our editors. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that case, our, as sisters, your one job is to read it really, really fast and to send a text uh, very, very quickly saying, this is a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> you have never written anything like it before. I can't, and so to, it's just filled with praise. Um, and you can leave it to the editors then to give... We don't want constructive criticism from each other. Because I was just... When I read that, I was thinking, how does that work if they give feedback and you don't like it? No, no. no you never feedback. talk to each other again? <laughs> no. <laughs> Quite dangerous. <laughs> um, so I'm also interested in this idea of um, your books as being, you know, about ordinary people's lives. That's something that's often said about um, your books, these ordinary characters who live in suburbia and that sort of thing. But it also struck me that, you know, we're all ordinary until we're not, until we have a stalker or experience domestic violence or your mother goes missing. Uh, These things can happen to anyone, can't they? Which I think is something that uh, we all think about any time we read a newspaper article, uh, to think that, of course, terrible things happen to ordinary people Mm. every day. Uh, And even if it's not uh, things that make the news, uh, there's not a single person in this audience who hasn't had um, extraordinary things um, happen, who hasn't suffered loss or uh, uh, great joy. Uh, and that's, yeah, I, that's what I find, I find fascinating. Mm. Now, I am interested, given you've sold over 20 million copies, I'm curious about how those um, numbers are added up, but I'm sure there's a fantastic computer just crunching those numbers. <laughs> um, and I know many authors receive fan mail. I've, I've spoken to a number of them. I'm sure many of you have read Marcus Suzak and he receives lots of fan mail and John Marsden and Chrissy Neen. And I was curious about you. Like, um, you did mention earlier that you receive letters. So what, what sort of fan mail do you get? So I used to have uh, my email address there on my website. So I used to get a lot more. Every, every day, but it, uh, uh, it actually made me uh, feel sick with guilt all the time because my mother is the queen of uh, thank you notes and so she would be expecting me to send to answer every single one of these messages immediately. Um, and I thought, 
And at that time, I had two really small children and I couldn't keep up with it. Um, and, and also there were things... So, for example, at the time The Husband's Secret came out, I would get a lot of emails from American readers pointing out to me that um, Easter does not take place in autumn. It takes place in the spring. It is a religious holiday and you really should have done your research um, first. And the thing about that was that I wanted to tell them, So I wanted to answer immediately to say, you are wrong, this book is set in Australia, things happen. Um, uh, so it was t- took up a lot of um, mind space. Uh, <laughs> Instead of writing the next book, you're yes, writing these uh, yes. responses. Exactly. And there, there are things that are like, um, our book is our book club is doing your um, your book for our, our next meeting, and I would like to serve Australian food. Please provide a menu for. Um, a savoury Australian dish. And then I would find Benjamin myself... sandwich. Yes, Googlings. Uh, and then there was one... I remember this was before the Hemsworths became famous. Which of the Hemsworths is your favourite? Uh, and I can remember, again, spending too much time. Which of the Hemsworths is my favourite? I don't know. That's, that's, that's difficult. Um, but there are also some really um, beautiful... So I still do get messages, but not as many, that find their way um, to me. So there are some amazing things that I hear. Um, so, for example, I found, heard from one woman who, uh, after reading The Husband's Secret, which has a character in the book who has Marfan's syndrome, which is a very little-known um, genetic uh, condition... And after reading the book and reading the description of the uh, character, this woman thought, this really sounds a lot like my daughter. Um, and it turned out that she had, she took her and got her diagnosed, which the letter, which oh, made me cry so much, um, so uh, heartfelt, saying we would not have known because it can cause um, heart issues and so... So things like that mm. um, that you do would never... Do people confess to you? Confess things? Family <laughs> secrets? Uh, yeah, people do often want to tell you that they've got um, a wonderful idea for a, for a novel, <laughs> yes. Um, yes, sometimes at events, some people pull you aside and start telling you quite extraordinary stories about their personal lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what about names? You know, with nine books... Uh, plus your children's books um, that did get published. <laughs> um, and then, you know, massive cast of characters. How do you keep track of them and how do you come up with your character names? Uh, so, well, first of all, I always make an effort because I do have a lot of characters in my books and um, I know sometimes that can be hard to keep track of them. So I make a point of not having too many characters with the same initial uh, I try to have a variety of names, so you can not having too many ordinary, you know, Mark John, um, but uh, have uh, a, some more complicated or unusual names, and to also variety with the number of syllables. Uh, but I think you mentioned that I keep the certain names that obviously I like. So I like the name Madeline. Madeline, yes, yes. Um, and actually. Um, Joy yes. pops up in... Has Joy popped up before? Truly madly guilty. Oh. Just as a, 
smaller oh, really? character. Yeah. I'm, yes. You know, I'm not keeping notes to correct you or anything. No, but no, I was Olivia. I was interested in that, yeah. and uh, I guess also because um, names have power, don't they? Tell me about the name of um, Simon Barrington when so, you heard it. What you thought? <laughs> Uh, so sometimes people can bid at a charity auction to have their actual name used uh, for a character in um, one of my books. So Simon Barrington was, I think, at a rural aid... Um, or rural aid charity? Charity, yeah. And he was the winning bidder. Uh, and I just loved the name Simon Barrington. It just immediately created a character. So um, he's a, one of the so characters. So he's one of the characters, yes. Before. And there were two more, because um, it was at the time of the bushfires and there was... Uh, so artists for fireys, I can't remember. Authors the, for fireys. Authors for fireys, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so there were two other names uh, that also appear in the book. So mm. it's interesting when the, a character then comes from that name. Absolutely. Um, and you think that that character was made for that mm. name. Uh, and I remember you saying also that Joy is the main character in this book. Um, was named after your year of joy. Yes, because I was originally calling the book the year of joy and I think in the very early days I was perhaps even thinking that joy might um, do something similar to me with a year of joy so, mm -hmm. but then that became then that's the problem once sometimes a name sticks and then um, and sometimes I've used people I know so um, I have the character Bonnie in um, Big Little Lies and I have a girlfriend whose daughter is called Bonnie and I remember right coming to the end of the book and then saying to her oh I use Bonnie's name, but and I cannot change it. Now her name is Bonnie. I hope, I hope that's okay. Um, well, now we come to sort of the, the gossipy part of the conversation. <laughs> uh, because, as you know, Leanne's had enormous success, like astronomical, really quite hard to believe, um, you know, with two books adapted to the screen and just doesn't happen to a lot of writers and certainly um, your success as a writer is quite beyond I think most Australian authors experiences uh, so what's that like <laughs> uh, that's, that's so how really do you deal hard. with that how do you deal with that success I guess is the more sensible question um, well there are wonderful so there are just it's just been a lot of fun I have to say but there are always people uh, to keep you in your place so for example even at a, a glamorous event like going to the Emmys so I was there with my husband in the back of the car and we're all dressed up uh, and uh, driving to the Emmys and um, a policeman stops the car and said to the driver have you got a celebrity there with you and the driver said nope <laughs> <laughs> so then the policeman said in that case this way he didn't get a tip then <laughs> <laughs> and there were just lots of even again um i think it was the emmys uh somebody from the us was uh emailing me all about going and she was saying uh and you will not you will not be going to the governor's ball. I think it was called the governor's ball. I'd never heard of this ball, but it was very clear that I needed to know I would not be going. <laughs> um, and I wrote back saying, I understand um, yours, Cinderella. 
<laughs> so there's, and I remember seeing an interview with Emma Thompson uh, talking about how you know, when you go to these events, there's always somebody there to say you're not quite as important as, as somebody else. So you stand here and, and not there. Um, but to be honest, um, it's just been a lot of fun. It's just been um, a pleasure from start to finish. I know some authors do not have such a good experience. Um, they maybe feel sidelined or they're not happy with the adaptation. Whereas for me, I, I took a step back anyway. I uh, was offered the chance uh, to write the screenplay. But because I, part of the pleasure for me in writing is finding out what happens, there'd be no pleasure for me in writing an adaptation of my own book because I already know what um, happens. Um, so I was always happy for them to make whatever changes they wanted. But they kept me involved in such a, a lovely way. So just getting to go visit um, the set, just seeing how it all, how it all comes together. And um, I also found... I think I thought that uh, these actors would be quite jaded uh, and um, not care as much as they cared. I thought, um, but they—I actually find it, found it quite inspirational how much the, their passion that they put into the mm. into the job. And so they respected you as the writer, yes. as the creator of this world that they're acting in. Yeah, and it was just yeah, it was just just good fun. But you did get to write the novella for the season two of Big Little Lies and um, you did get to imagine, you know, what actress you'd like in a certain role and then you got it. So tell, tell us about that. I did. So that was different because uh, I was offered the chance uh, to say, would you like to give us some ideas for how uh, the new season could carry on? So that was different from... Uh, adapting my own work uh, and I can remember saying to my sister well should I do this and she said well just do it and have fun with it and why not write a role for your favourite actress so I thought oh well I will write a role for Meryl Streep uh, and I can remember originally I was actually calling the character so this was the character of Celeste her mother-in-law I was actually calling her Meryl as I wrote it and then I thought, I'll find out Meryl's middle name just for my own pleasure uh, and use that. And then I found out that Meryl's real name is actually Mary Louise. Uh, and so I can always remember saying to the producers, not quite believing my audacity, um, <laughs> I have a role for Meryl Streep. Uh, and they were laughing at me saying, oh, Leon, you've become so Hollywood, getting on the phone saying, get me Meryl. Um, but then, yeah, one day I got an email saying, we got you Meryl. Wow. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and then it did go to my head. I then was saying, get me Oprah. Um, and I was quite serious. I wanted Oprah, but I didn't, I didn't get Oprah. <laughs> Um, we've come to the end of our night. It really has been wonderful. Thanks to the Wheeler Centre and the Castleman State Festival for hosting this event with Leanne Moriarty. Thanks to our wonderful Auslan interpreter, Leah Collins. Um, most of all, please thank Leanne Mori Moriarty for her generosity today. Thank you so much. That was Sarah Lestrange in conversation with Leanne Moriarty on the Wheeler Centre podcast. 
This event took place on the 4th of May 2022 at the Castle Maine State Festival. You can find more from the Wheeler Centre by visiting wheelercentre.com.